Welcome over in the venue again. Uh, you just missed our great quartet. I know you guys have great music over there. Thank you, uh, Pastor Brandon, for leading music. Welcome to all of you that are, again, watching online. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, okay? If you don't have a Bible, all of the verses will be inside your program. We want you to see the Word of God for yourself, or they'll come up on the jumbotrons or whatever. Before I get into this, inside your little... Uh, your little program there. We've got, I got two things I just want to draw your attention to. And the first one is uh, Truth Remains. It's going to be here October 17th and 18th. It's absolutely free. And let me just tell you, most of you in this room don't know what it is, but you don't want to miss it. It's about 30, 45 minute free little, um, they take you in groups. And you know, we're a, a church that believes in the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. We believe that this is God's inerrant word. And most of you in this room don't really realize what it took for us to have the word of God in our hands. And this is an unbelievable little um, presentation that you want to go through. If you have children, you want to bring your children and take them through it, or your grandchildren. If you've got friends, and there's only so many spots, there's not many left, you need to go online and sign up for one of the spots, because uh, this may not come through this area again uh, for a long, long time. And then we have our recovery uh, Modesto conference that's right here with Dr. John Townsend, and you can pick up uh, tickets right outside these doors. Afterwards, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then Jesus ended with this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now today we're going to zero in on verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But before I, I get into this, I just want to remind everybody what the word blessed means. It simply means happy. So in each of these verses, the creator, the one who knit you together inside your mama's womb, is telling you, his creation, how you can experience real happiness, true happiness. It's unbelievable to me to see all the different seminars that are out there and all the different uh, blogs that are written and all the different uh, you know, magazine articles that you can find, conferences on how you can experience real happiness in your life. Most of them, 99.99% of them were just really dumb, they're just stupid. In some cases, they're, they're, they're literally satanic. But here we have the creator telling us, here's how you can experience real happiness down here on, on planet Earth. And it all begins with being poor in spirit. Jesus said this in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And as I said, this is where it all begins. This is the first step. If you really want to find happiness in life, it all starts here. You have to recognize that there is a God, and you're not him. 
That's where it all begins. When you finally get to the place where you recognize just how spiritually bankrupt you are, and you recognize that there is a God, and you're not Him. Because when you get to that point in your life, you cry out for Him. You recognize how you need Him in your life, and you cry out for Him. And the Bible says that He'll come into your life at that moment. And nothing will give you more joy in life than knowing that everything has been settled between you and the Creator, that everything has been made right between you and the Creator, that you recognized how, how your sin had messed up your life and separated you from your Creator, the Father, and that you were just dead spiritually, and you cry out for Him. Unbelievable moment in, in a person's life. Then Jesus said this in verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the, the second step to real happiness. After you've cried out to God, you begin to understand just how horrible sin is. You, you, you begin to understand how sin impacted your own personal life, how sin impacted your you know, the, the life of your family, how sin impacted your business. You start to understand how, how sin just has had a devastating effect on, on everything. Sin to this moment is still having an impact in, in your lives, right? But most importantly, you begin to realize the impact that sin had on God, that the Father had to send the second person of the Holy Trinity to come and die a horrific death for all of us because of sin. And when you recognize the weightiness of sin, you know what? You, you, you mourn over it. You grieve over it. You're broken over it. And when the Father sees that you're broken over sin, you know what? The Bible says he comes and he comforts you. And let me just tell you something. You want to be happy in life, allow the Lord to comfort you. And there's just something amazing that happens in a life when you understand the implications of sin and you're broken over it. And he floods your life with his, his comfort. Then Jesus said this in verse 5, he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the the, the earth. This is the third step to real happiness. You, you humble yourself before God and allow him to control your life just as Jesus humbled himself before his father. You see, if you truly understand what it costs God to cleanse you of your sin, if you're really broken over your sin, if you really mourn over that, you know what? You have no choice but to humble yourself before the Lord. You have no choice but to live a meek life before the Lord. Another great word is that you become a, a real teachable uh, person. Then Jesus said this in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is what I talked about last week. This is the, the fourth step to real happiness. This is about having a desire to live right now that you've been made right. You see, you were made right when you recognized that you were poor in spirit and you invited the Lord into your life. At that moment, you were made right with God. 
that one act of faith, that one act of putting your trust in God made you right with him. Now God says you need to hunger and thirst after right living. And obviously, this is where we find what right living looks like right here. You can't divorce right living in the scriptures. They go hand in hand. The only way we know how to live right now that we've been made right is we have to know what the scriptures say. So another way you could say this is blessed are those that hunger and thirst for the scriptures. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst to live out what the word of God says. Now, I want you to notice that these first four Beatitudes all have to do with your relationship with God. Okay, follow this. The first four that we've looked at all deal with your relationship with God. You recognize that you're poor in spirit. You're, you're broken over your sin. You're, you mourn over your sin. You, you choose to live a humble life before him. You hunger and thirst to live the way God wants you to live. But everything's gonna change now in verse Seven, Jesus is now going to talk about how you relate to human beings or how you can experience happiness but how you treat others. Jesus said this in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And let me say right out of the gate here, what Jesus is talking about here isn't that we would... Um, if you show mercy to another human being, then they'll show mercy back to you. That's not what he's saying here. That if you'll be merciful to someone else, then they will be merciful to you. Because that's not always true, is it? They might be, but there's no guarantee. What he's saying here is, is that when you're merciful to somebody else, God, will be merciful to you. That's what he's saying here. This is not about, well, if I'm merciful to you, then the Bible says, then, then, then God will be, you know, make sure that person's merciful to me. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you really want to experience happiness, you learn to be merciful to others, and God will then be merciful to you. And let me tell you something. When you get to experience God's mercy, wow, <laughs> that, 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 that'll make you happy. That'll bring a real deep joy to your life. Now, when this was written, by the way, the idea of being a merciful person was uh, sort of a foreign thought, especially to the religious leaders. Uh, the, the religious leaders were proud and arrogant. They were self-righteous and judgmental, and those attitudes don't lend themselves to being a, a, a very merciful person. It was really considered to be the least of all of the virtues, this idea that you would be merciful towards somebody else. But what exactly is it? What is mercy? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines it this way. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And I think that's a pretty good definition. It's showing compassion or forgiveness to somebody when it's within your power to, to punish them or to harm them in, in some way. 
I like what Dr. MacArthur said. He said, quote, the basic meaning is to give help to the afflicted and to rescue the helpless. It is compassion in action. And I, I really like that. I think that was really good. Now, I think a great picture of mercy in action is found in John chapter 8. It's a familiar story. Most of you know it. Some of you don't. But let's look at the, the word of God. John chapter 8, verse 1 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. They put her in front of of Jesus, put her in front of the crowd. Obviously, these religious leaders have no concept of mercy, do they? Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, what's interesting is, is that if she was caught in the very act of adultery, then they knew who the man was, but they didn't bring the man, did they? The law had something to say about the man's actions, too. Now, as I read this, I, I wondered what was running through this woman's mind. Here she is. Jesus is teaching a crowd. And all of a sudden, these religious leaders and their garb and their outfit are dragging this woman. I'm sure she was weeping and bawling through her in front of the crowd. She's a whore! Been sleeping with somebody. Caught her in the very act. I thought, man, she must have been just really embarrassed. There just must have been a lot of, um, I don't know, humiliation. I mean, here she is, her sin on display for everybody to see. Then I spent some time thinking about what was running through Jesus' mind. I mean, he's kind of in a quandary here. On the one hand, the law was clear. She should have been stoned. I mean, this woman has sinned. She needs to be punished. It needs to be dealt with. But the religious leaders are just so unmerciful here. Just unbelievably unmerciful. These religious leaders, the Bible goes on to say, were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote something in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's just a, a weighty moment. You'd almost think he's like, like God. <laughs> he was. 
You're right. She's supposed to be stoned. So whichever one of you religious guys, I mean, you got on all the purple robes and all the stuff and all the cool things. Whatever one of you has never sinned, you go ahead, you pick up the first stone and heave it. I mean, just an unbelievable moment. Then he stooped down again, and he began to write in the dust again. When the accusers heard this, when these religious leaders heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. There's there's always wisdom in the oldest, right? (laughs) I'm out of here. I'm going to let the young guys stick around and kind of get more jacked up. I'm getting out of here. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Now go and sit no more. Don't live like this anymore. I made you for something greater than and what you're doing with your life. Don't, don't live like this anymore. Don't do that. That's what mercy looks like. That little story there in John chapter 8 is a, is a great illustration to all of us what mercy looks like. As Dr. MacArthur said, it, it's compassion in action. And may that story somehow rattle around in our minds. May we not forget that story as we go about our lives. And let me give you a few thoughts as to why you should be a merciful person or why every Christian should be a a minister of mercy. I I would love it if Big Valley Grace was known throughout our, our country or uh, the, the county maybe even as, as a church where if you go there, you're going to find the most merciful people. That'd be a great thing. I prayed a lot that somehow this message would permeate our lives to a great degree. Take your Bibles real quick and turn to James, the, the, the book of James. I, I wasn't planning on, on doing this. I don't think it's in your, in your notes, but t- t- turn in your Bibles real quick. Everybody turn there. Okay, James chapter 3. And the Bible says this. James says this in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure, it is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and it's willing to yield to others. And then it says this, the wisdom that is from above is full of mercy. You see, just because you know a lot about the Bible doesn't make you a merciful person. I know a lot of people who can rattle off all 66 books of the Bible, They can rattle off all Ten Commandments. They can rattle off all the great doctrines of the church. But they don't have much wisdom from above because they lack mercy 
And when you get God's wisdom from above, when you really internalize it and you meditate on it and it really is a part of your life, part of it shows up in the fact that you would be a merciful person. A lot of Christians are just people that have a lot of data. They can tell you lots of things about the Bible, but they're not very merciful. You show me somebody who has God's wisdom in them. They, they're full of God's wisdom. And I'll show you a person who is full of mercy. And that's why I would hope that our church would be a church known as a, a, a place where you can find mercy if you come here. So here are three thoughts as to why you ought to be a merciful person, okay? Thought number one, you should be merciful because God was merciful to you. <laughs> I know, I know, I, got, I know my crowd here. You're all going, yeah, of course, oh, yeah, right, I get it, yeah, right, right, right. No, 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 I'm gonna hammer this one home. Because what happens often as believers, or, or, what happens to me? I'll throw myself under the bus here is that I can walk with God for so long that I, I forget this unbelievable truth. But I need to be merciful because God was merciful to me, you see. In Ephesians chapter two it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he so loved us that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. In other words, God had the power and the authority to punish you because of your sin, but he didn't. Instead, he showed you mercy, just like he showed the woman caught in the very act of adultery, mercy. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter asked Jesus a, a question, and it's Jesus' answer that's really important for us today as we look at this thought of mercy. Verse 23 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone that sins against me? It's a good question. And then he, Peter says, Seven times? Well, that's a lot. I mean, imagine somebody coming to you and saying, Hey, will you forgive me? And you say, Yeah, I forgive you. And then they do, they do something same thing, and then they come back and say, will you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. I mean, imagine doing that seven times. That, that seems like a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven, and that's not a mathematical formula there. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you just forgive, and you forgive, and you forgive. You forgive. Therefore, now Jesus is gonna tell a story. This is really great. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. 
But the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all off. This is a moment where he recognized how poor in spirit he was. That he was bankrupt, literally, in front of this king. He had no way he could repay the millions of dollars. And he's broken, and he's begging for mercy. This is, this is a great illustration of what we all, you know, did at some moment, if you will, when we recognized that we were poor in spirit. We just fell on our face before God and said, oh God, oh God, I, 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 don't, I need you in my life, right? Unfortunately, the story didn't end there. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave him of his debt. Whew! Think about that. This guy owed millions and millions of dollars. He could not repay it. And when he begged for mercy, the master said, done deal, forgiven. Don't worry about it. Wow, is that unbelievable? Act two. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Wow. How crummy is that? This guy owed millions and millions and couldn't repay it. He bows before the king and grovels before the king, and the king has mercy on him, and he gets up, walks out the door, and he goes, jacks up one of his fellow servants. Act three. Story's not over. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset, and they went to the king. Uh-oh. There's always a snitch. And told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven. Oh, man. Whew. You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with, with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid off his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you, Jesus says, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. That's a weighty, weighty story Jesus just told. You see, God had mercy on you, Christian. He forgave you a, a debt that you could never repay. Millions and millions and millions of dollars, if you will. And he expects us to live our lives that way amongst our fellow brothers and sisters, that we would be merciful. It's a great story with an important message for all of us. God wants us to be merciful I mean, we don't want God to give us what we deserve. We want him to be merciful to us, and he has been, but we need to be careful to treat others the same way that God treats us. 
Titus chapter 3 says this, Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. Beloved, there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that talk about God's mercy and God's love and God's compassion and God's grace. And God wants you as one of his children, as one of his ambassadors, to act like he does towards people. In other words, God wants you to pass on to others the same mercy and the same grace and the same love and the same compassion that he passed on to you. God himself said this in Hosea chapter six. He said, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And by the way, that is such an important um, little hunk of scripture that Jesus quotes that verse twice in his earthly ministry. The concept of mercy, being merciful towards others, is a weighty thing for us as believers. And if you really want to experience real happiness, man, and I'm gonna talk more about this in just a moment, it's, it's interfacing with other human beings in a merciful way. Uh, number two, or the, or the second thought, you should be merciful because you're gonna need more mercy in the future, don't you think? <laughs> I got the feeling that in 10 years, you're, you know, if God doesn't come back and you're still alive, you're still gonna need God's mercy probably. I got the feeling for some of you, you're gonna need God's mercy before you ever get out of this building. <laughs> oh, don't we need God's mercy? We needed it in the past and I guarantee you, you're gonna need it in the future. Guarantee it. Our brother James said this in James chapter two, there will be no mercy for those that have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Exactly what Jesus said in, in the Beatitudes. Here's the bottom line. Yes, God has shown you mercy over the years, a lot of mercy over the years. More mercy than you could ever possibly know about. But obviously, we all are going to need more of God's mercy the longer we're on planet Earth here. And we receive that mercy when we are merciful, you see. Uh, thought, thought number three. We've got to start racing here. You should be merciful because showing mercy will, will make you happy. Okay? Makes you happy when, you're, when you show mercy to others. And that goes, takes us back to our text, right? Blessed are the merciful. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, Jesus isn't saying that you, you, you know, as I said, you, you show mercy to another human being and then that human being will show mercy back to you. That, that's not what he's saying. But when you receive mercy from God, wow, it, 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 it does something within your soul. Proverbs chapter 14 says this. 
He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. Um, you know, we have a lot of ministries here at Big Valley Grace, and for those of you that are visiting, you know, you, you have no clue of all the things that God has this family of believers involved in. And um, one of the, the ministries of this church is a ministry we call Good Sam, and we have a building out that direction, big sign on it that says Good Sam, and uh, it's kind of like a grocery store. And then in our warehouse, imagine Costco, you know, three stories of food. We, we, we have a warehouse in the back that you can't see, and it's almost like Costco. There's, you know, three stories almost of, of you know, all this food and, and, and stuff that, that, that we have. And our Good Sam ministry helps about 300 new families every month. 300 new families every single month. And the overwhelming majority of those families don't go to Big Valley Grace. The overwhelming majority of those families live in different kinds of neighborhoods. A lot of those people don't know the Lord. But they make an appointment here and they meet with one of our good Sam representatives and we find out how many kids are in their families and what their ages are and how many and that kind of determines the amount of food that we're going to give to them because they're, they're somebody that is made in God's very image. And if they're hungry, we're going to show mercy on them. We're going to help them. Sometimes they've gotten themselves into the, the pickle that they're in uh, because of their own bad choices. But we're going to show mercy on them. The Lord showed mercy on a woman who was a prostitute, who was a whore. She had made her own choice to be a prostitute and a whore. And I'll tell you something, when you talk to the people who work in Good Sam, when they are there and they're handing out the food to all of these families, <laughs> there's just a lot of joy out there. Now there is a moment where we take those folks and we have three little offices out there and I often tell people, more people give their lives to Jesus Christ and that little bit of square footage than they do even in this big piece of square footage because we always sit down with people and we share with them the gospel. And the reason why we share with them the gospel is because they wanna know. Oftentimes they say, listen, I don't even go to your church. I don't even believe in your God. Why are you helping me? Let me tell you why. And we get to tell them about Jesus. And all of a sudden, when they see God's people showing them mercy, it's unbelievable how their hearts are open to the things of God. And they've got, uh, I don't know if Tim's in here, but they, they got a Bible study out there. They're, I mean, it's unbelievable what God does in that ministry out, out there. 300 new families every month. It's one of the, the great gems of our church. Most of our, our community doesn't even know about all of the food that we distribute to uh, different families in, in our church. We work with other churches. We'll take food to other churches, let them distribute it amongst their own people. Proverbs 11 says, the merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. There, there, there's something that happens deep within us as Christians 
when we extend mercy to others. So these are three of many reasons why you should be merciful to others, right? God was merciful to you. You're gonna need more of God's mercy in the future and it makes you happy if you, um, if you show mercy. Now, now I wanna get super practical, okay? This is the practical moment in the church or the so what moment, if you will. And I wanna talk about how you can become a minister of mercy to those that, that God brings into your life or how you can show mercy, mercy to others, okay? Number one, you show mercy when you're patient with other people and their faults, okay? You show mercy when you're patient with other people and their faults. Now, I just want you to know, I will get a copy of today's message so I can listen to what I actually say at this moment. Okay, I'm not preaching to you right now, I'm preaching to me, okay? Yes, I put it all on paper, but guess what? I, I got some work to do here. Luckily, probably most of you don't, but your pastor does. Ephesians 4 says, therefore, I, a, a prisoner, Paul says, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a, a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble, always be gentle, always be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. That's not a suggestion from God. That's the creator telling us how he wants us to live. I think since the fall of man, we as human beings have become really good at seeing other people's faults or their quirks or their mannerisms or their idiosyncrasies or their odd behavior, their crummy habits or whatever. We, we, we can see the stuff in other people's lives. As I often tell you, I can see your stuff at 100 paces. I just, I just, I got a radar about it. Oh yeah, man, they're screwed up, man. Oh my gosh, look, oh man, I don't even know. I never met that guy, but look, oh, that guy's, I'm just really good at it. But sometimes I'm really difficult to see my own. Isn't that weird how that works in my life? Because I know, I know you don't struggle with it. But, but man, I have a hard time looking at my own stuff. But I can sure see it in other people's lives. And one of the ways I learned to become a minister of mercy is when I'm just patient with other people and where they're at in their lives, the quirks that they have, whatever those things might be. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, love is patient. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. Beloved, this is the greatest definition of love ever given. And the very first thing it says is that love, true love, biblical love is patient. It's patient. Now the Greek language, in the Greek language, the word patient means long-tempered, right? We all know people that are short-tempered, right? Maybe they're sitting next to you right now. But we all know somebody that's short-tempered. We've all heard of people that have a short fuse, right? Little, little tiny fuse, spam! 
You know, you, you light the fuse, bam! My son and I, um, we, um, we, we, we like lighting stuff on fire and like, you know, fireworks time, 4th of July, right? We like that. We, you know, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. But we like it, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know, it's like, man, I, I could light a $20 bill and it would stay lit longer than, a, than the... Um, this past year, somebody gave us a little pack of, you know, little black cat fireworks, you know, a little firecracker. And we lit one, and it stopped before it finished. It was like, you, you, you had to wait for a second because, you know, maybe there was an ember still going, and you don't want to get too close and blow your hand off or something, but it was like, okay, we're not letting that thing go to waste. So we got one of those long lighters. Okay, stand behind me, son. You know, and it, you know, bam! But we got it. Nothing went to waste. Of course, my wife was in a panic. Yeah, my son's gonna die. But but that that that's how that's how some people are. They just have short fuses. Anything happens, bam! And this word in the Greek means having a long fuse. Something goes on, something happens in your life, I don't know what it is, and you, the fuse is lit, but you haven't blown. And it's going, shh, it's going, and it's going, and when you have a long fuse, what happens is you're able to go, okay, here's a deal. In the grand scheme of things, it really isn't that big of a deal. And you cut it off and it never goes off. You got time to kind of sort things out. You got time to take your brain to a higher place and go, God, what do you want at this moment? And here the word of God says, be merciful. Show them patience. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 4, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. And this doesn't mean that we as Christians are to overlook sin or sinful behaviors or whatever. Obviously, Jesus didn't overlook the woman caught in adultery sin. He says something to her at the end. But I do like what Dr. MacArthur said. He said, quote, it, is, it means specifically that a Christian should overlook sins against him if possible and always be ready to forgive insults and unkindnesses. And I really like that. Let, 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 let me get super specific here as it relates to this, all right? Men, um, you, you married a sinner. And I know what you guys are doing. You're going, well, yeah, that's right, Rick. You preach it. <laughs> Ladies, you married a bigger sinner. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait, wait a minute. Come on, back off. Back off faster. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about now. I thought your first phrase was perfect. The second phrase, isn't that great? Here's the deal, here's my point. In a marriage, two sinful people come together. Two sinful people. And then God set this thing up in such a way that when you have children, you just bring a whole lot of more sinful people into the world. The whole thing is kind of weird when you think about it. Two sinful people, we have babies, now I just created more sinful people. 
One of the things that I recognize when I talk with married couples or people that are thinking about getting married, they're in premarital counseling, is I want them to understand the, uh, the, the, the biblical truth of who they are. I want them to see their lives from a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview. That yes, you're in love right now, I get it, and everything's fantastic, and it's wonderful, and all the stuff, blah, blah, blah. But you need to understand something. You're both sinful people. Two sinful people are going to come together, which means you cannot have a perfect marriage. It's absolutely impossible for you to have a perfect marriage. You can't. You're both sinful. Which means you have to understand that your spouse has a lot of faults or the person you're going to marry has a lot of faults. You may not see them right now as you're dating. Yeah, this is fantastic. You know, we're giving each other flowers and you know all the dumb poems you write and all the things, <laughs> and you're just googie. You know, uh, yeah, we've all been there. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, I don't know what it is. Someday you wake up and go, "Wow, what, what, what? Where's the poems?" Ladies, you remember when you were dating and man, he opened the door for you and you know, went around and got in, and man, he's over there opening the door for you. And after about, I don't know, six, seven months of marriage, man, you're getting in the car to go out for dinner, and he drives off, you're not even in the car. It's like, well, wait, 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 whatever happened to opening the door? I don't know. I got you, though. That's the thing. That's what I want. Hey, we've all been there. You just recognize that, you know, everybody's got these faults. And so here's the deal. <laughs> you want your marriage to work, you've got to learn to be patient with each other. Because if you're not patient with, with each other, you're not gonna, it's not going to work. You've got to learn to be, um, r really, a marriage is the, a union. You want a great marriage? It, it, it's, it's the coming together of two great forgivers. It's what it has to be. It's the coming together of two great, merciful people. Because if you can't be patient and you can't be forgiving and you can't be merciful, man, it, it, it's going to be a tough go. It's going to be a tough go. Uh, number two, or a second way that you can demonstrate mercy to others is this. You show mercy when you're a blessing to those that hurt you. Jesus said this in Luke chapter six. He says, um, Christians, love your, your enemies. Do, do good to them. Mm. Mm. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And, and this is hard, man. Our, our flesh just gets in the way of it. We, we like people to be merciful to us. We, we, 
We want God to be merciful to us, and I want you to be merciful to me. I, I don't do everything right. I, I look. Uh, I, I do my best to be the pastor of this church, but man, do I fumble the ball. I, I don't do it all right. And those of you that are closer to me than, than others know, I, I just, I bumble around at times. I prove the fact that this is the Lord's church. <laughs> I'm a living example that God does miracles. I'm not kidding. That's just the reality of it. I'm not that smart. I'm not that gifted. Not that talented. I bumble around. And you're very merciful people. Very. You're very forgiving, very loving, caring. It's a joy to serve here. Anybody would be privileged to, to stand where, where, I, where I stand. And I need it. I need it. And we all have people in our lives that have hurt us and done things, and you know what? They, they need it. They're going to bumble around. It could be your spouse. could be your kids. could be your parents. I don't know who's hurt you. All I know is that there's one of, the, one of the practical ways that you show mercy to others is when you're just a blessing to those that, that, that hurt you. Psalms 145 says, the Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. And what he's talking about there is this, is that's God's common grace towards people, his common love, his common compassion. You see, there are some of you here who don't even believe in God. You use his name in vain. And yet God has been compassionate to you and he's shown you mercy. And let me tell you how that all plays itself out. Your heart is still beating. Even though you don't believe in the God who created you. His common mercy is he just lets your heart beat. Because you know what? If he wanted to, he could stop it right now. I'm amazed when I look back on my life, those years when I didn't know Christ and all the crummy things I used to say about God and I used his name in vain and the crummy things I said about God's people and all of that, and yet God was merciful to me in, a, in his common uh, grace kind of way. One scholar said this, God's children should bear the indelible stamp of his moral character since he is loving and gracious and generous even to those who are his enemy, we should be like him. But as I said, it, 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 it's hard. It's hard, I know. It's hard. One of the things you hear me say often here is that hurt people hurt people. Right? Somebody that's hurt for whatever reason, they, they, they hurt people. They just hurt those around them. And the people that they tend to hurt the most are those that they love the most. You see, nobody here is hurt. You know, when you're hurt and you, you don't, you know, get in your car and drive out to the mall and find some stranger and just, ah! You don't, you don't do that. You, you, you hurt those that you love the most, that you have the deepest relationships with. And one of the practical ways you show mercy is when somebody in your life hurts you. They say something, do something, and for you just to say, hold on here a second. I don't know what's going on in their life, but maybe they're just hurt right now. Maybe something's happened. 
And instead of just reacting out of emotions, you, you, you go to that higher place, you use your brain and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to extend mercy to them. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a merciful person at, at, at this moment. Look, some of you, the person that hurt you has been dead for a decade. And you're still angry over it. And you're still bitter over it. And the people that have to suffer with it is your spouse or your kids or your grandkids. And the person that hurt you has been dead for a decade. But you're still wound up over it. And it's a company like Tums that loves you because you keep them in business. Because <laughs> your stomach is just all goofed up. Because you just have chosen to hang on to it and not go, you know what? God was merciful to me. I'm going to be merciful to that person. I'm going to love him. Let it go. N -n Number three. You show mercy when you care about those who don't know Jesus or those that are confused about the teachings of Jesus. And I want you to add that. I added that later. I want you to add that to the, to the back end. Uh, or those that are confused about the teachings of Jesus. In Jude 22, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy. Listen, you're going you're gonna to run into people that don't believe in Jesus, and they may make some really crummy statements about him, and at that moment, you've got a choice as to how you're going to respond to them. Jude says, be merciful. Be merciful. I'm glad that God had, in, had put in my life some people who were merciful towards me. One of them is sitting right back there, George Brown. When I was going to Grace M. Davis High School, I didn't know the Lord. I said crappy things about the Lord. Said all kinds of stuff. I doubted, whatever. But God made sure there was somebody on that campus working for Youth for Christ who showed me mercy. He knew that I was living an ungodly life. He knew that I was living in a way that brought dishonor to the Lord. He knew all of that, but he showed me mercy. He understood that I was blind. He understood that sinners are going to act like sinners. That's what they do. You're going to run into people that have been deceived into believing weird things or, or strange things. And at that moment, you have a choice to make as to how you're going to respond to them. Be angry and mad. Man, you're crazy and you're dumb and you're stupid. How could you go there or do that? Or you can be merciful. One of the, the beautiful things about a merciful person is that they love to build bridges of love to sinful people because that's what Jesus did. Uh, we had a, a staff uh, time this past week and Alan Boone's back there and some of the other staff is in here. We brought a man by the name of um, Doug Ranlett. Uh, Doug Ranlett was um, the executive pastor at Thomas Road Baptist Church for a long time. That's Jerry Falwell's old church. Uh, uh, Jerry is with the Lord now. Some of you know who he is. Great man of God. Great man of God. 
Uh, Jerry Fall, God used him to build Liberty University, one of the great Christian universities, and a great man. And I served on an advisory board to the, the college for a lot of years, and that's where I met uh, Doug Randland, and we became friends. Well, we had Doug Randland out here uh, this past week and met with our staff and really was a great encouragement to us. And he told us a story about Dr. Falwell and his son, Jonathan. Jonathan is now the senior pastor of the church. Like I said, Jerry's with the Lord. And uh, in 1983, there was a guy by the name of Larry Flint. Larry Flint owned a magazine called Hustler Magazine and kind of one of these crummy porno magazines. And Larry Flint had put a... Uh, kind of a, 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 a parody in the magazine, kind of like a cartoon in the magazine that um, uh, Jerry Falwell was having sex with his mother. Some of you remember this. It became a big deal, okay? And uh, Jerry Falwell took Larry Flint to court. He won one small piece of it, was awarded some money. Um, Larry Flint uh, appealed it and took it all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. You can Google it and read about it if you want. But in 1986, the Supreme Court ruled that Larry Flint had a First Amendment right to put this cartoon in there because any person with half a brain would realize it's a joke, it wasn't real or whatever. And so anyway, it was a big deal and it ends. So they're leaving Washington where Washington, D.C., where the Supreme Court is. Uh, Jonathan is a college student then. He's walking out with his father, Jerry. And uh, Larry Flint comes up and says, you know, what are you guys going to do now? And, you know, Jerry said, well, we gotta, we're going to get on a plane and head back to Virginia. And Larry said, no, 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 hold on. I, I, I've got my own personal jet. And I'd be honored if I could fly you and your son, your boy, home to Virginia. I'm on my way to New York, but let, let us do that for you. And so Jerry at that moment had a huge decision to make. He gets on board that plane, and I guarantee you there were all kinds of Christians. What? How dare you get on a plane with this notorious sinner? What a loser, what a crummy guy, you know? He did all kinds of evil against you. He posted that cartoon in his magazines. But Jerry said, absolutely, it'd be an honor. So Jerry takes his son, they get on board the plane, and for a couple of hours, Jonathan watches his dad and Larry Flint talk about their lives, their families, whatever it is, and you know, the plane lands, and Jerry gets off the plane with his son, you know, and the thing goes up, and the plane takes off, and Jerry says to his son, Dad, I can't believe it. I just can't believe how nice and kind and friendly you were to this man that you know, did, you know, said such evil things about you know, your mother, my grandmother. I mean, I, I just watched you, Dad. And you were so kind. You were so nice, why? And Jerry looks at his son and says, son, there's gonna come a day, I hope, when Larry needs to make a phone call. And I wanna be the one he makes that phone call to. And I want you to know, I was sitting in the back of the fireside room and I went, whoa, 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 whoa. You see, if Jerry screams and yells at him, you dirty, rotten sinner, you crummy guy, blah, blah, blah. You know what? When that moment comes and Larry wants to know about eternal things, he doesn't call Jerry up. 
But because he was kind and showed him mercy, extended him mercy, at least he left the door open for him. And Doug Ramlett told us in that meeting that Larry has called Jonathan, that they've talked. Isn't that amazing? It's one of the, it's one of the beautiful things uh, about the Lord. He always hung out with the notorious sinners. Oh, and people got mad at him for it, but he was extending mercy to them because he wanted the phone call. He wanted them to understand this beautiful story of redemption. Everybody over in the venue wanted to stand. Everybody in here stand. And let me end with this verse. The prophet Malachi said, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. And I sure enjoyed uh, singing and giving and love your word, Lord. I pray, God, that I don't know if there was something I said that you didn't want me to say, God, that you would strike it from these folks' memories and that they would hang on, Lord, to what you would want them to know today, what you would want them to really dwell on today and meditate on today, Lord. Help us to become one of the great merciful churches in our area, Father. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you guys.